Okay. Hello. Welcome to another episode of CXO Talk. And this is episode number, uh, Gus, 30, 39, I believe. Uh, could be 39. I'm Michael Krigsman, and I'm here with my co-host, Vala Afshar. Vala? Michael? I'm not going to shake your hand because you're sick. <laughs> <laughs> I have a cold, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> so, so viewers, you're not going to catch it, but we may ca I may catch it here. Uh, Vala, we're here with a amazing guest today. Absolutely amazing guest. Mary, Mary Fran Johnson. <laughs> God, I was waiting for you to... <laughs> Mary, Mary, Mary Fran Johnson, who is the editor-in-chief of CIO Magazine. Hi, Mary Fran. Hello there, Michael. Hello, Vala. Hi, how are you? I'm and, doing uh, great. It is, it is really the highlight of my week to come here and spend time with Vala and with our guests. And, and each week, you know, I'm always thinking, how, do, how can I describe Vala? And the, the, what comes to mind today is the robot-like master tweeter who is never, nevertheless not mechanistic. Vala Afshar. And you just you never know what to expect from Vala's tweets is the thing. Exactly. You may get some philosophical thought. You may get a marketing plug for something. You may get a, a line out of one of its many books. I mean, he's a, a creature of constant surprise. Oh, thank you very much, Mary Fran. Well, I just want to. So, Mary Fran and I were at a, a Society of Information Management CIO event in Boston earlier this year, and I was asked to present on a panel. And before we start, Mary Fran looks at the audience full of CIOs, maybe a couple hundred CIOs, hmm. and says, uh, this guy here on stage thinks if you don't tweet, you're going to be irrelevant. And um, so I had all these CIOs looking at me going, who invited the CMO to this event? Yes. So at, at one point, I had to also tell the audience that Vala was pretty much their worst enemy. He was the guy who was after their IT budget. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. All yes. right. So now we know. So Val is the guy that's after their IT budget. Well, well with that, uh, Mary Fran, why don't you tell us about CIO Magazine? And also, you're the editor-in-chief. What exactly does that mean? Well, and that is an excellent question, Michael, because these days being an editor-in-chief means many, many things. Um, IDG Enterprise, which is the parent company and of, of, uh, of the publication that I'm at, um, IDG Enterprise actually spans seven or eight different brands. And some of them are all digital, and some of them are digital and have print editions. And in my case, I'm the editor-in-chief of our magazine, our print magazine, and also our events division which puts on 10 different CIO events during the year. So I have the great fortune of basically spending 80, 90% of my time talking to CIOs, either on the phone for something we're doing with the magazine or in person at the various events that we run around the country. So my tagline for my job is that I fill pages and stages with CIOs. Can you talk to us a little bit about unique attributes of uh, CIO Magazine? Um, I th the first one I always have to bring up is that we are the founder of the category. CIO Magazine started in 1987, back when very few companies or corporations were really even aware of the title of Chief Information Officer. In fact, probably most of the heads of technology then might have still been called data processing managers or perhaps vice presidents of information systems. 
but the CIO title itself was not exactly invented by CIO magazine, but we were very early on in writing about CIOs. And what that has, so that after 26 years later, uh, we are still a print publication smaller than we were during the, you know, the, the height of print publications in the early part of the 2000s. But we've also spawned a number of related businesses out of that, an entire events division comes around that. We have an online and a digital media presence, which is quite enormous. Uh, I think five or six million visitors a month to CIO.com. We wow. also have a custom publishing business, and we also have a uh, CIO, uh, the CIO Executive Council, which is a professional membership organization that several hundred CIOs are involved in, and that gets into all kinds of leadership and development and training. So in a lot of ways, the businesses end up summing up almost a 360 view of CIOs and senior IT leaders. Um, our uh, circulation for the magazine is 140,000 and of course there are not 140,000 executives with the CIO title. So some of it is aspirational. A lot of the people that read us are in the manager, director, VP level of the IT organization. You must have awesome stories of CIOs trying to get on the cover. <laughs> well, everybody is very interested in the cover, and it helps us a lot because it's a good way for us to get the attention of like a Fortune 20 company. You know, we can we you know you can call up and start talking to Dow Chemical or American Express or uh, FedEx, and of course, over the years we've gotten to know so many CIOs. I've got a I myself have an extensive CIO network that I'm always grateful for because once you strike up a personal relationship with a CIO, you're pretty much the they're yours for life, and um, we also do a, um, a yearly awards program called the CIO 100, which mm -hmm. awards IT innovation for IT organizations. It's not even given directly to CIOs. It's a, an IT award for innovation that leads to business value, and just the connection with that awards program, which has been running since 1988, we have met over the years what is 26 times 100, 2600 IT leaders that have gotten an award from us and once you give a CIO or a uh, senior IT executive an award uh, again they are faithful for life so it gives you it does give you a great network I was one of your uh, CIO 100 judges this year yes you were so you know how involved that process is it's a, it's a very detailed process um, how do you how do you find these most innovative CIOs for the, for the contest and also uh, how do you decide who to feature on the cover of the magazine and inside the magazine? Well, in, increasingly, the cover of the magazine doesn't uh, often feature individuals. We, uh, we publish 12 times a year now, so we want the stories to be really big important pieces like last spring we wrote a cover story about the new chief in town and it was all about chief digital officers and how that trend was rising our upcoming January issue showcases the research that we do each year the state of the CIO research and we had over 700 respondents to that and we run that through our CIO forum on LinkedIn uh, so we'd in fact research is one of the things I forgot to mention that's one of the other many views that we have on the market um, we find the stories, the, the primary people looking for stories out there are the executive editor Mitch Betts and our cover story writer and managing editor Kim Nash. 
And then I bring home a couple of stories. I try to bring home at least a couple of big trend stories a year from all of my exposure in the market running the different events. And to put those events together, each one of them has its own advisory board of about a dozen CIOs. And I will interview them one-on-one, -on -one, off the record, all about what's happening in their business, what are the big trends they're seeing, and what kind of uh, what sort of agenda items they would find the most value from at our events and and sometimes from those calls we find out about something very big going on in the, in the in the world of leadership and innovation and business strategy which are the three big things that CIOs all care about how's the print magazine business evolving given the explosive nature of free media social media um, and 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 you know how are you introducing innovative ways to to continue the the readership and growth of the magazine? It's a very challenging market for print magazines, and IDG has adopted the the very sensible and and uh, a policy that works really well, where we manage print for profitability. And it, I, I, I like to tell my CIOs that because they remember the magazine back when it was 150 pages. And now it's usually it's a 60-page folio. It's a smaller publication. Oddly enough, a lot of CIOs also tell me that they like it better because they can read it in 40 minutes cover to cover and feel like they're very much in touch with the market. Um, so the a lot of the um, uh, advertising support that, of course, is the backbone of most media businesses, a lot of that has gone to online operations. And there are still a number of advertisers that are interested in being in front of CIOs during a more contemplative moment. So the thing I always point out about print is that it is a unitasking medium. You're not going to be distracted if you're reading something. You know the way our minds work. We can't really multitask from one thing to another. We have to focus. And there's something about sitting down with either a book or a magazine or maybe your Kindle where you're really paying attention. And so the feedback that we get from the readers, our CIO audience is also still very much likes to read in print. And I believe that we've got a, a nice long runway still in front of us. Ultimately, I think most print magazines will go into digital versions of themselves, where instead of having the magazine in your hands, you'll have a, you know, a, a, um, an app on your uh, tablet where you open up and you see the, you know, the pictures and the story and, and the nice layout and the sort of things that you really don't experience with the online operations, which tend to be more focused on breaking news and the latest things happening and really, really shorter stories. We still have the luxury of getting into greater depth on topics. And that's why I'm, I'm always telling CIOs that the three big things we write about are leadership, innovation, and business strategy. And they always light up when we say that. They don't necessarily want to read about BlackBerry versus the iPhone, although that I guess that's already been determined. But they're not as interested in individual technologies as they are in what their peers are doing and where the market is heading and that sort of thing. I may have wandered off your question there, Val. Did I catch all of it? You did. You, did, you caught all of it. Okay, good. <laughs> you, you interact probably with, with hundreds of CIOs every yes. year. And <clears throat> many of these folks are among the most innovative ones in the world. Uh, what are the key traits or key characteristics that you can identify that mark a, a really successful or innovative CIO? 
excellent question and we do think about that a lot in fact uh, about a little over a year ago we wrote a story about the future CIO and we identified several characteristics that really point out um, a chief information officer who is going to help accelerate the business and they tend to be they, they are things like entrepreneurship they have a, a, a great relationship with their businesses they build they build great IT organizations. They're really focused on bringing top talent into their uh, into their groups, and they think about the future. They think about where technology is heading. But probably the most important thing, Michael, I think, is that they are externally focused. They are thinking about the customers. The customer experience is a very familiar ground for them. Uh, the best CIOs, they get out and they ride around if they, I think of uh, Puneet Basin at uh, Waste Management, which is uh, you know an enormous company, I think eight, ten billion dollars. He gets out at least a couple times a year and rides around in the trucks and sees how the technology is being used. He interfaces one-on-one -on -one with customers whenever he can. And the, what we found over the years, especially like members of our CIO Hall of Fame, we always interview them about what has brought them to, you know, the to the induction into a Hall of Fame sort of status. And they always talk about their unrelenting focus outside of the IT organization. Now they, they get everything working well. The foundation of it has to be excellent and the networks have to all run and the security has to be great, but they consider those table stakes. Uh, the real I think the real differentiator between a world-class CIO and a very good one who's doing a job is whether or not they have an internal focus or an external one. And of course, at some point, they have to blend both of those. Uh, it's it's a really tough job. I mean, CIOs don't get to be just one thing. Uh, you know, they they don't get to just worry about the company finances. They're worrying about the technology and how well it's working and how people inside the company are making use of technology. They're worrying about how they look to the outside world and whether they've got security issues on their websites. And then they have to worry about how the business model is changing with all the digital disruption we have going on today. It's just it's a laundry list of very big and then very kind of tactical and strategic concerns at the same time. Sure. Uh, you mentioned digital disruption. I, I just read uh, MIT Sloan post that said in 2011 there were only 75 chief digital officers, mm -hmm. and we will exit this year with 500 CDOs. Yep. So an incredible growth in this uh, in this C-suite's chief digital officer. And Gartner claims that in two years, one out of every four enterprise will appoint a CDO. So these mm -hmm. successful CIOs that are externally facing, which means that they're very familiar with the digital disruption, mobile, social, cloud, big data, user experience, why are there so many CDOs that are coming into the business, uh, either displacing CIOs or just you know, being added to the C-suite? It is. Um it's a trend we've been watching really closely because when we did our, our story on this last March, the question we asked was whether this was good news for CIOs. I mean, if a lot of times, the, if you look at the pedigrees of chief market or of chief uh, digital officers, it is often out of the marketing and sales organization, and right. it's relatively rare for a CIO to come out of that organization. And I just was on a, I had a panel discussion just two days ago in LA and I had one of the regional CIOs from Sony Entertainment was talking about that and he was telling me about a group of 25 
top IT leaders throughout the country that are throughout the company that are getting together to look at what all the digital disruption and what it's doing to Sony's business model. And he said in that group of 25, 10 of them had that CDO title. And so he's very interested in it, but he said they all were doing different things and reporting into different people. It's a very fast moving topic right now. When we did our story, we found uh, two out of the three cases that we looked at in depth. The CIO was just a, a partner with the chief digital officer. One difference, though, being that often the CDOs report directly to the chief executive, and our CIOs are sometimes reporting to the chief financial officer or the chief operating officer. And that's one of that's a concern we have because it definitely looks like a position that's going to come in over uh, the CIO. Then I know another uh, group of CIOs, and they're younger. They're like probably under 45, and they are very interested in CDO as their next obvious career move. I had one tell me that he's he has it as a second as a secondary title. He works for an aviation company in the south southeast, and he said that he went to a big meeting of their sales execs, and when he got introduced as the CIO, he sensed that everybody was kind of thinking, "Well, what are you doing here? You're the tech guy." So he started. Prefer, preferably started using his chief digital officer title and he got a lot more interest from people. So he's actually thinking about dropping the CIO title and sticking with chief digital officer. Now it depends a lot on the company and what kind of business it's in and in some industries it's going to make a lot of sense. But uh, like in the movie industry, one of my other panelists at our LA event uh, was it is the CTO at DreamWorks Animation, but he's functionally the CIO as well. And so in some industries, like in movie and entertainment, COO and CDO and CIO, they all mean different specific things. Uh, like when you run into the VP title in banking organizations, it right, can mean right. a million different things. Um, but it's it's a, a fascinating it's a fascinating pathway forward for CIOs, especially if their businesses are getting completely disrupted by digital. I mean, in a lot of ways, they'd be crazy not to step up and say, "Hey, I can help us. I can lead us into all of the changes we need to make as a digital company." But then that gets back to their relationship with the CEO and whether or not their other colleagues around the table in the C-suite see them as the person that will lead forward into the digital age. And that's a crucial relationship question. Yeah, I mean, that's I would be concerned about that because in many organizations, the CIO really, as you say, is stereotyped as as the the tech person, the the head, yeah, the chief of the propeller heads, yeah, yeah, or you know, or or, or infrastructure, and yeah. I think it creates internally focused again instead it, of looking out at customers, and that's the problem that we run into over and over. It drives the the externally facing CIOs. This drives them crazy, knowing that um, everybody thinks that. Uh, that there is an IT department and then over a bridge there's the rest of the business. And so you hear people all the time talk about IT and the business as though they weren't completely embedded in one another. It can be very frustrating to CIOs that are really trying to do their best to make sure that everybody understands that their IT organizations are they're like they're like embedded journalists in a military operation. You know, they're actually there. Of course nobody gives the journalists guns. So, so so how do you even define success for a CIO when there is this business component, there's an IT component, and in many companies there, there is frequent turnover 
uh, yeah. in, in the CIO role, which is probably related to the difficulty of defining success in the first place. So, so again, in your travel, speaking with so many CIOs, what are the common attributes uh, that, that you see in terms of defining success for the CIO? Yes. Well, and, and I will, uh, I hate to point this out uh, to Vala, but the, the turnover in chief marketing officers is actually twice as high as it is with CIOs these days. So there you go, Vala. You be careful now. <laughs> Am I going to make yeah, episode 40? It. Am I going to make we episode 40? Vala, you better watch. <laughs> we, survey, <laughs> we survey this. Um, for the last uh, 13 years, we've been doing our State of the CIO Research Project every year, and we, and we uh, showcase the results in our January issue, and they'll be up online on CIO.com on January 1. And we always ask about CIO tenure. And uh, the lowest it's ever been in our surveys is a little less than three years. And right now, it's almost at six years. So CIO tenure, on average, is actually increasing. And, but to get more directly to your question, I think that the most successful CIOs, uh, first of all, I think that they end up with some longevity. The ones that can only spend two, two and a half years at a company, and then there's a change at the executive level, and they decide that, I mean, CIOs lose their jobs a lot. There's a lot of CIOs that are in transition, but a lot of times you have to look at what else is happening on the senior leadership team. When a new CEO comes in, you know, CFOs have an average lifespan on the job of 12 years. And so you don't see CFOs shuffling out the door, but the CIO's job is so closely tied to how well the company is innovating and serving its customers and, uh, you know, what is the business strategy and how well is it being executed upon. And so I think that the CIOs that are the most successful are the ones that are deeply, deeply involved in the business. They're not just looking to align their IT organizations with the business goals, they're looking to accelerate them. They're the ones speaking up at the table and saying, you know, we really need to move to that mobile app a lot more quickly. Here's what I've been hearing in the field. And by the way, this could increase our sales by 10%. That's the kind of stuff that CEOs want to hear from their chief technology uh, gurus. They want them to tell them, you know, how can we make better use of analytics? Uh, I often ask, you know how the big, we, we refer to it in the industry now as the smack stack social, mobile, analytics, and cloud. And it's dominating most of the technology conversations. And when you look at Smack, I always ask CIOs, which one is the most important to you? And they have a little bit of a struggle with, mobility is such an obvious one now, because everybody is doing a lot of mobile strategies. But the one they always land on is analytics. And the kind of things, predictive analytics. There's every CEO in the country, at some point or another, has turned it ahead of his technology guy and, and said, you know, we have so much data, isn't there something more we could do with it? So, you know, ways to slice and dice and turn out more customer information and, you know, bring in unstructured and structured data and figure out a better way to drive more business or serve the customer better, or if you're a B2B company, a better way to connect with your suppliers and to provide better services. All of that is very front and center, I think, for the best CIOs. Absolutely. I just read big data was the biggest buzzword in 2013 in business. Uh, uh, it would be. And you know what I think in 2014 it will be? Absolutely. Oh, I, think absolutely. It, I think it's going to be customer experience. I agree with Forrester on that one. They've been writing and declaring that for a little while. And I've been, I tend to take what the analysts say, and then I go out and I test, I reality check it with my CIOs at our different events. And I've been asking them, you know, is, what's the biggest buzzword? Is it customer experience? And everybody in the room is nodding. 
So it's what IT is doing for your customer experience. I mean, whoever the customer is. It might be a client, it, you know, it might be another company if you're a B2B company. But what is IT doing? And again, that's, that's turning the company's IT face externally to the organization. Um, we have a question from uh, Twitter from a brilliant CIO, David Chu, who's the CIO of University of Mississippi Medical Center. I believe he has 500 folks in his IT organization. And our guest last week. And our guest last oh, week. Uh, and uh, I think the, you know, the second largest employer in Mississippi. And his question is, are you seeing chief digital officer in, in healthcare? Is, is that a sector where you see uh, a presence of CDOs? No, we've seen them in retail and consumer packaged goods companies, and of course there's some in entertainment. Um, no, I haven't seen any yet in healthcare, and I think that the healthcare is certainly moving is is much more of an early adopter now than they ever were in the past. I mean, the changes that's the one industry I think amongst all of them that is probably changing the most. But there's so much concern around. There's more concern, I think, around security of patient data and uh, privacy issues. And I would expect that more healthcare companies will be elevating a security chief before they will be thinking about a chief digital officer. Got it. That would be my guess. Got it. So, given given all of these changes in IT and the rise of CDOs and so forth, what is the rightful place? Of IT inside an organization, and what should the what is the the optimum relationship between IT and the rest of the of the business? The optimum relationship is you look around a table and there's an exciting meeting going on, and everybody is throwing ideas in and they're deciding on some important strategy for the business, and you can't tell who the IT person is. That that, that IT people are so embedded in the business, they understand where it's going, they know what needs to be done, they've got the technology tool ideas to contribute. Uh, this is why the relationship between CIOs and CMOs and the chief marketing officers is the closest and the most beneficial now than it's ever been. The two have more in common with each other today than they did three or four years ago. They used to be on opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, but so much of it, Michael, has to do with the business building, the skills that not only the CIO possesses, but that he makes sure that he or she makes sure that others in the IT organization have those same skills. And they're soft skills. They're not, you know, an ability to install something or keep a network running. They're skills about talking to somebody about what they're really trying to do rather than having you know your marketing department just go out with their corporate card and fire up an Amazon server and start their own database around something they've decided to do it's very easy to do that now I mean shadow or rogue IT is probably a bigger issue than it's ever been but there's a whole different attitude toward it now I think from IT where instead of looking at that as a threat or as a, a breaking the policies and the rules of the company they're looking at it more like a um, consultative opportunity. You know, let's sit down and talk about 
you know, why did you feel you needed to have your own server and your own database? When did you realize that our organization could provide this for you? The business conversations that go on between IT people and business people, and the more of that happening inside the IT organization, the better that reflects on the CIO. Most CIOs of like Fortune 1000 companies already know how to do this. They're already, they've got good relationships, they've got, because once you get your seat at the table and you look around, you realize that what the table is talking about. And the best CIOs, I think, take those conversations and that knowledge about the importance of soft skills back into their IT organizations. And, and they groom successors that way. Sure. We had Kim Stevenson's uh, Intel CIO. Yes, she's uh, marvelous. She's, she's great. Fantastic. She's wonderful. And she said there are no IT projects. There are only business projects. That That's are right. And uh, which I think is fantastic advice. So if I could give advice to CIOs from a CMO perspective in terms of uh, recruiting talent into IT, one recommendation for me would be to hire, and I'll say data analysts or, or data scientists, folks that can help, help IT uh, better understand modeling, predictive analytics, as you said, because yep. ultimately improving the customer experience will require analysis of both structured and unstructured data and today, 90% of the data is unstructured, from my understanding. So yeah. what would be your advice in terms of recruiting talent into IT and what CIOs need to look for, given the fact that, yes, maintaining infrastructure is table stakes? Um, well, and we, in fact, we talk about that at all of our events. We have a panel. Uh, my friend Martha Heller, who runs her own executive recruitment firm and is also a columnist in the magazine, has been running this panel for me at a couple of our events, and we call it the Talent Hunger Games. <laughs> and how, how do you how do you find and keep and how do you find and retain and develop the very best IT people? And the conversations around that tend to some of the answers are really obvious ones where it's you know it's a great work environment and the morale is high and P and IT people feel valued and they get to do interesting work and then some of the CIOs talk about well you know we're an insurance company and we're not going to be able to have the same kind of appeal that say eBay would have if they were trying to bring someone in so there's some of the companies have um, a um, a giving back a, a uh, you know if you're in a healthcare company and you know that your IT team is an integral part of the development of a new drug that is going to help sufferers of cystic fibrosis uh, you know there can be very different rewards depending on the company and there I think the CIO has to be such a good leader has to be someone who understands how to help IT people grow and expand their business skills and if they end up being people that really don't want to spend a lot of time customer facing then to move them keep them move them uh, promote them into parts of the IT organization where they can be on their own star track because mm -hmm. Not everybody is meant to be the CIO. You know, not everybody is going to have a whole balance of the kind of leadership skills that you need. And you know, but finding those bright spots and the rising stars in organizations, you know, the better the leadership in the IT organization, not just at the CIO level, but in the levels below it, the more there's loyalty. I mean, and, right. and there's a reason to stay with a company. Um, and, and speaking of data scientists, one of the biggest difficulties IT organizations have now, not only is finding them but affording them. We had one CIO at a, our Atlanta event last year told a story about how he was trying to find um, a data scientist and when he finally tracked down someone who had been highly recommended to him, the guy said, well, I'll come and see you 
but I don't want to waste my time on the trip if you're thinking about anything below 500k for a starting salary. <laughs> now, this was this happened to be a whole lot more than the CIO himself was making. So, uh, and, it, the, and it got a big laugh from the audience, and I, I never actually found out if he had the meeting with this guy because I'd love to, you know, like. Wouldn't it be great to have a picture of this guy? Like, how how fabulous a suit was this guy wearing? It would have to be pretty good if you had that kind of salary. So, and um, there was I'm another uh, coat. <laughs> there was another discussion about data scientists at my panel in LA, and there are a number of uh, a couple of my panelists who are outsourcing that capabilities. They're hiring data scientist type capabilities uh, from some of the big vendors. And so, in in it's part of it is knowing where you need to apply uh, those sure. data science type, and I think probably the pharma companies are probably better at it right now than anybody. Sure. Well, well, is it McKenzie's report that said by end of this decade, just in the U.S. alone, there would be 186,000 shortages for data scientists, and it's incredible when we talk to. Jonathan Becker is the CMO of SAP. I believe he said he had 18, 19 data scientists working for him in the marketing department. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you can imagine the stress SAP marketing is putting on SAP IT yeah. in terms of making sure the quality of the data, the predictive oh, yeah. analytics, and all of that. Does, does, oh, yeah. Doesn't this marginalize IT, these trends that we're talking about? I see. I tend to say maybe that's a glass half full, glass half empty thing. I tend to look at it and think that this is a huge opportunity for IT to keep rising up the stack instead of to be instead of being considered as a um, a functional department that can report to the chief operating officer, or the CFO, to have IT be front and center in product development and product engineering. And I mean, if it doesn't move in those directions then some of that blame may fall on the CIO where they don't have enough vision but it can also be that you get a lot of it depends on chief executive officers as well if you have a CEO who really wants a tactical military style guy who's gonna run IT and just keep the networks up and he doesn't really want to talk about technology well I, I can't imagine though Val that a company like that would be around in five years because it sounds it sounds too blinkered to what's going on in the world um, there's always something that comes along that everybody thinks is going to marginalize IT and you know th that's why outsourcing goes in such waves when the cloud came along and everybody started talking about cloud three years ago there was sure. all sorts of hand-wringing and probably dire predictions by Gartner and Forrester and everybody else about how well there goes the IT organization who's gonna need one if you right. just outsource stuff but you know as Val you probably know from your own company being involved in those sorts of efforts that takes a whole complex new set of skills just sure. managing your outsource partners Sure. And those are the sort of skills, Michael, that uh, the smart CIOs are bringing into their organizations. Right. It's not just data scientists. It's also ability to negotiate good contracts and to understand what the company lawyers are talking about and, again, to have more of that external focus. But, but Mary Fran, at the same time, just to play devil's advocate for a second mm -hmm. here, at the same time, if, if uh, marketing has a substantial technology budget, they also have a substantial need for real in-depth expertise about the marketing function and process and what marketing needs. And yeah. how is it even possible for a general purpose IT department to have that expertise? Well, I mean, think about I mean, the... Yeah, I just want to add to that about general purpose IT. I mean, 
when you think about just the infrastructure and evolution of whether it's software-defined networking, explosive Wi-Fi, wireless in the enterprise, bring your own device, bring your own app, the infrastructure is more complex and more sophisticated, more automated. So, I mean, are we just asking too much of the CIO to maintain, you know, uh, 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 a, a pace of innovation in the infrastructure and at the same time meet the different line of business needs, including marketing? Actually, the, um, the, the feedback I get from CIOs at industries all over the map is that they are happy to outsource, to go to the cloud for various parts of the infrastructure. The infrastructure, to be honest with you, is the least interesting part of a CIO's job. They are far more focused on the business applications and the delivery of services to the business in various forms, you know, depending on what kind of business it is and what their customers are. The actual, I've had so many CIOs say to me that they could care less if they ever walked into another data center again. They're like, <laughs> outsource the sucker what we're interested in because uh, you know it's only the it's just the platform that runs the tools and it's what you're doing with the tools that I think matters most to CIOs I, I don't I don't now some some businesses like say FedEx you know we've had wonderful conversations with FedEx over the years they've consolidated a ton of their data centers but they're and they've done a lot of it they work with partners but you're not going to look at a company that especially that does as much distribution and, and so much logistics and moves as much product as they do, you're never going to see a company like that completely back off and say, ah, we don't need to run our own infrastructure. You know, there's some, right. there's some forms of excellence that are going to be really important. I mean, banks and insurance companies and uh, logistics and distribution companies, they're all doing more in the cloud, but when various people come along and say, oh, all of that is going to be in the cloud, I, I, it's that's kind of dubious to me because sure. there's there's too many integration and security issues that come up and back to your point M Michael about the marketing organization and all the complex tools they're working I think that it's enough for the marketing organization to figure out you know what they're doing with all their tools I don't think they on top of that want to figure out how to integrate them with Salesforce and all the other kind of important enterprise apps and I don't think they understand or even care much about the security aspects around that. So whenever you start thinking about, you know, like that Gartner prediction from last year about marketing organizations ending up with a bigger IT budget, I, you know, I'd like to know what industry are they talking about there. And when you say a bigger IT budget, what are you actually including in the IT budget? Well, when I when I talk with CMOs, mm -hmm. uh, frequently enough, the CMO says, you know, I have the biggest budget in the company. For, for that may very well be true. What I, what industries are they in, though? Uh, uh, software, for example, technology. Okay. Okay. So so again, th this puts tremendous stress on the CIO. I mean, there must be well, because of the the expertise that's required in marketing specific knowledge. Well, I mean, I, you see you see expanded uh, in investments in marketing on social listening tools, which have yeah. to be integrated in social CRM platforms. Yep. You're seeing a lot in marketing automation because the contextual intelligence needed in marketing to personalize the engagement with an uh, individual prospect requires lead nurturing and, and a much more sophisticated back office function. There's yep. gamification and crowdsourcing. There's all this stuff that's being used in marketing 
that five years ago wouldn't be line item perhaps in the marketing budget, and right now it's most expensive, multiple line items in, 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 the, in the budget. Yeah. Well, and um, we ask in our state of the CIO research what percentage of IT spending is under your direct control. And the answer we got back, and we had 722 respondents from around the world, 40% of them were in uh, Europe and the UK and Asia, and the number was 71%. Direct control, 71%. Direct control of the IT budget, what do you control? 71% of it. And, you know, that means that, what is it, 29% is in other places. But I've had some CIOs tell me that they don't, they don't care as much about budget control. It's more about how are they working with that executive. I know at our panel in um, Boston last year, one of the, uh, the CIO of Thermo Fisher was there and talking about, and they do a tremendous amount of marketing. In fact, uh, she came on, it was Ina Kamenz, and uh, she came on with her chief marketing officer, and they talked about all the projects they were involved in, and that question came up from the audience, and they said, you know, well, what percentage of, of the IT spending is, you know, your, your marketing colleague in charge of, and it turned out the CEO had put the entire nut right under the IT organization, because he didn't want a lot of boundary arguments and fighting about who was going to pay for what. There were things that he wanted to get done, and in this case, the best place for that entire budget amount was in the IT operation, but sure. but the CIO understood that she was in a, a direct partnership with the marketing executive, right. and together they needed to achieve these goals. Another interesting stat we asked uh, that we'll be revealing in our January State of the CIO research, my executive editor is just going to kill me when he finds out I was out there just giving away all the best parts of our story. <laughs> um, too late. Um, anyway, um, on CXO Talk. Yes. <laughs> yes, right on CXO Talk. And it was, um, what was what was I just talking about? I lost my train of thought. I got so worried thinking what Mitch is going to say to me. The CIO budget. Uh, the CIO budget, yes, there were, uh, oh, I told you the 71% number. There was another number that was very big, and it was a 61%. Let me see if I can remember what it was. Really, it was a cool number. Let me ask, if, if half the CIOs are reporting to the CFO, I can see that for those 50%, they would have 71% control of the budget. But I'm wondering if you segmented the survey where the CIO doesn't have uh, the direct working relationship with the CFO, do they still have three quarters of the budget under their total control? Because I feel that if you're reporting to the CFO, that checks and balances are there where you may very well own most or manage most of the tech spend. Mm -hmm. But what happens if you're not reporting directly to the CFO? Do, do they still do, do those CIOs still have all three quarters of the budget under their control? Well, yes, we're at the point now where 44% of CIOs are reporting to the chief executive. Oh, but really? Wow. Yes, 44%. It's the highest it's ever been. Wow. When we started awesome. surveying it. It was in the probably high 20s, low 30s. It was about a third of them reporting to CEOs. It's up to 44% now, and only 18% were reporting to chief financial officers. Wow. And I think that, again, it, it's. I think you got you have to go back to the collegial the collegial relationship between the C-suite members. The who is controlling exactly what never matters as much to the CEO as getting the job done well. So I, you know I I just I don't hear C CIOs 
getting all that hung up on it. I mean, they're they're more concerned about how do I get additional resources to do what I need and and how can I continue to cut costs out of my op IT operations hence the interest in cloud and getting you know like getting outsourcing as much infrastructure as is reasonable to do how do I cut IT operations costs so I can be spending more on business applications strategic moves for the company going forward in a changing market and so forth I know what it was it was the 61 percent number we asked our CIOs how many of them whether a portion of their compensation was tied to company results and profits wow. and 61 percent have a chunk of their pay tied to the company profits and to, to me that's just a huge indicator that they are seen as a senior business leader in their companies and I mean that's the that's the nirvana that's where CIOs are all headed I mean whatever we're gonna call them in 10 years maybe by then it will be chief digital officer but maybe the chief digital officer it won't matter as much because everything will be digital and it'll be like saying the chief everything officer you know occasionally like you know people go through exercises where they have is a chief information officer or chief innovation officer or chief integration officer and all the different eyes come up and I you know the CIOs just kind of shudder about that because I mean since the late 80s uh, everybody uh, Gartner loves to do this and you know all the different consultants like to come forward and 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 predict dire futures for the CIOs and yet the profession continues to grow in in the level of respect that it's seen by business you know the fact that the Wall Street Journal last year launched CIO journal on its website I thought spoke yeah. you know the, the premier business newspaper in the country and they launched CIO journal because we wrote I wrote a little editorial saying welcome to our space what took you so long you know <laughs> Yeah, they're do I've contributed some pieces to them. They're doing a good job too. They are. Well, yeah. Michael, as fifty percent of CXO talk, I'm saying right now we need to have Mary Fran back on the show very soon. All right, <laughs> that's a deal. You are uh, awesome. But, but, but well, wait, before you, we're, we're we're out of time. Of but course, there's, you're there's, always like this. <laughs> you are unbelievable. Well, I mean, I can't wait to write the blog. <laughs> he's he's ending the show. But hold on a sec. Hold on. I'm let's not, pull I'm back. Not, pull not, back not. here. We have we have. Uh, just one last point that we have to cover, uh, and we're pretty much running out of time. But uh, only eight percent of CIOs are female. Yes. Now, on oh, this show, yeah. we've actually had quite a number of, of female CIOs. But in general, what can be done to bring more women into the CIO profession? Great question. It, it is um, uh, some. Many much smarter people than me have taken a stab at this whole topic, and it is it is truly a pipeline issue. It is it is getting girls as young as middle school to to feel that technology and science and math is cool. And it's just I mean, my I have a daughter who is a software engineer at Google, so I know it's doable. Um, but her father is a PhD scientist, and so science and math. Uh, they have my kids have good verbal skills, but they got all their science and math from their dad. And it's it is how young in school and a lot of CIOs I know are involved in the STEM program, science, technology, engineering, and math. 
so there's a pipeline issue. There's also a succession planning and a leadership training issue that a lot of companies are doing amazing jobs with. Uh, I've, I've been out to the West Coast to a couple of technology companies to talk specifically to all the women in their tech groups. And this was these were rooms just like crammed with women. So there is a great deal of interest in it, but these, these things take time. I mean, it's almost generational. We see far more CIOs, female CIOs now than we did even five years ago or even ten years ago. And the fact that it's eight percent, I think, I don't know what the percentage growth is from a few years ago, but I bet it's been pretty enormous. And, and there was a very interesting statistic. We had a discussion on one of our um, enterprise CIO forums that John Dodge runs, and there was someone that made the point that 39 percent no, it was, it was, there was a huge jump in technology jobs, and a bigger percentage of them were actually women. Hang on, I've got the stat right here. Um, it was the Bureau of Labor Statistics came out, and the tech industry between January and September of 2013 added almost 40,000 jobs, and 60% of those jobs went to women. Wow. So, so if we have a pipeline issue, that's at least an indication. And now I don't know; those tech jobs could be something pretty minor. In the, you know, and I meet a lot of women in technology, and they are not always the CIO. Our audiences are still pretty much 90% men and about 10% women. But we also, you have to keep making an effort. You know, I mean, I always make efforts to get a lot of gender diversity and race diversity too on our stage. You could say the same thing about African Americans in IT as you could about uh, women. In fact, it's probably an even smaller percentage. And, you know, it's awareness, it's paying attention to it, it's pipeline issues, and it's, it's at the end of the day, Michael, I think it's a leadership question. It's mm -hmm. something where the leaders of companies have to start making it a priority, and then things start to happen. Great. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. Yes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. It was a pleasure. Vala, it's uh, yet again we have, it's like the time flies. I, I, I just wish this was two hours. I know, we could keep going, we could keep going on. <laughs> Honestly, that's, a lot, to, that's a lot to inflict on people, Vala. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So we've been talking today with Mary Fran Johnson, who is the editor-in-chief, the big boss of CIO Magazine, both the magazine and the events. And uh, it's been great. Mary Fran, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Mary. Such a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me in. And uh, everybody, thank you for watching, and we hope you'll come back next week. Have a great I week. I know I will. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.